Now, in the original language, there's a word that's repeated here in the book of Romans again and again. And it's applied to us by the English translators using three different words that mean the same thing. For example, in chapter 4 alone, the same word is used 11 times, and it's rendered in English as the words counted, reckoned, and imputed. And every time it's used, it means the same thing, and it's this, accounted. Counted, reckoned, and imputed. These are words that declare unto us one of the principal truths of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see here three things. First, how that Adam's sin was charged, counted, or reckoned to us. And we're going to see that later on in our study of the book of Romans in chapter 5. How that it was by one man that sin entered into this world. And because of that sin, death passed upon all men. For in Adam all have sinned. Indeed, in Adam all die. You see, Adam's sin, his rebellion, his disobedience was personally reckoned, imputed, and counted to every one of us. That's what we call total depravity. Someone once said, if you get the fall wrong, you get it all wrong. Because of Adam's sin, we are dead, not only in his sin and trespass, but our own sins and trespasses. The second thing regarding this principle of imputation is how our sin, that is, the sin of God's elect, was charged, reckoned, and laid upon the Lord Jesus Christ. It's like I said last week, when you take your credit card to the store and you swipe it or stick it in the machine to return or purchase an item, what does it do? Well, it charges or imputes either a positive or negative account, or rather amount, to, to your account. And blessed is the man unto whom God imputes, charges, or reckons the righteousness of God in Christ that justifies the ungodly. And so, in the very same way, beloved, our sins, everything that is negative about us, was accounted or laid upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's vitally important because we'd have no pardon. We'd have no righteousness without Christ dying for our sins. We read in 1 Peter chapter 2, there in verse 24, how that the Lord Jesus Christ bare our sins in his own body on the tree. Now, how could he do that? How could he give his life a ransom for his people? Because, beloved, our Heavenly Father has indeed laid upon him or charged to him all the sins of his people. You see, the Lord stood guilty on account of our sin being laid upon him. Now, though he committed no sin himself, he had no sin, he knew no sin, he did no sin, for he's the spotless Lamb of God. But I've been made to see, and beloved, you've been made to see, how that our sin was reckoned and accounted to be his sin. My friend, this is not just some heady doctrine. 
Rather, we read in Psalm 40 how our Lord calls all our failures, all our shame, all our sin to be his very own. He says of our sins, beloved, how that they're his sins. He says of our iniquities that they're his iniquities. And so speaking of our wicked sins, he confesses before our Heavenly Father, and we just heard it read to us just a moment ago, he confesses before our Heavenly Father as our representative, as he's made to be sin for us, there as he dies upon Calvary's tree. Innumerable evils have compassed me about. That's talking about the innumerable evils that we are, beloved, every single day. Innumerable evils have compassed me about. Mine iniquities have taken hold upon me so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of mine head. Therefore, my heart faileth me. And now the third thing regarding this blessed truth of imputation, this reckoning, this counting, is this. How that in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are taught that the very righteousness of God The righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ is charged, reckoned, imputed unto you who believe on him. That's what we read here in Romans chapter 4 and verse 6. If you look there now, just take a look there. Verse 6, we read the gospel of our salvation right there. Blessed is the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. Now, this is the good news of the gospel, beloved. We have a justifying righteousness before God in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is made to be our righteousness. Our Heavenly Father made His beloved Son to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. You see, my friend, that's the gospel. You take away imputation, you take away how that His righteousness is reckoned, counted, indeed imputed to those who believe, if you take that out of the gospel, my friend, you have no gospel at all. And so this blessed truth is one of the foundational principles of the gospel, this glorious truth of Christ's righteousness being imputed to the account of his people. My friend, if all you've heard is how that Christ died for your sins, how that he put away the sins of his people by the sacrifice of himself, well, you've only heard half a gospel. And half a gospel is no gospel at all. You see, we not only need our sins put away, but further to that, we also need a justifying righteousness charged unto us. So we not only need a redemption that redeems us from the penalty of our sins, but further, we also need a perfect righteousness that reconciles us unto God. And that's all summed up in Christ. You see, he's our redemption. He paid the penalty that the law demands on our behalf. And he's our righteousness. He performed that perfect righteousness that the law demands on our behalf reconciling us unto God. And so now, Abraham and David and every believer 
enjoys the full blessings of the gospel in and through our Lord Jesus Christ. The very same blessedness that Abraham had is our blessedness, beloved. Abraham was called the friend of God. And we hear our Lord and friend speaking of his sacrifice for us. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends. The same blessedness that David enjoyed. God said of David, he's a man after mine own heart. You see, both Abraham and David are believers who had God-given faith. They didn't believe the gospel naturally. Indeed, no man does, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For by nature, we love darkness, not light. That's why faith has to be by the sovereign gift of God. My friend, we don't even have a spark of life. We're dead spiritually, and we do not possess saving faith by nature. Indeed, if we were left to ourselves, we would never believe the gospel. No, rather, saving faith is by the gift of God. Look again at verse 6 there in Romans chapter 4. Paul, summing up what David wrote by the inspiration of God, writes in verse 6, Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man, unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. The sweet psalmist of Israel says, The man who is a blessed man is a man who enjoys this righteousness that's reckoned, this righteousness that's imputed, and that without works. Verse 7. Now, not only are we righteous in Christ, but much more, beloved, blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Now, if you go back and read Psalm 32, David speaks about our transgressions our iniquities, and our sin. Now, sin is what we are. Transgression is what we do. Our transgressions are against God and His law, and our iniquities are our failing attempts to honor God as we should. And so our transgressions and iniquities, all of our sins are forgiven. Who said so? (laughs) Who says that? God says so. Who can lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justified. Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not charge, will not impute the penalty of sin. And we see that in verse 8. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Beloved, believing sinner, because of what Christ did through his doing and dying, our Heavenly Father will not charge you with sin. Now that's the best news this sinner has ever heard. To quote a faithful pastor, since I heard the good news, (laughs) I've never heard any bad news. Good news, isn't it? God will not charge me with my sin. He can't, 
because the Lord Jesus Christ has fully taken all the sins of his people upon himself and answered them completely. Beloved, he has answered for them completely. And he's answered for them so truly, so thoroughly and so fully that God's word declares the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. And that, beloved, includes all our transgressions and all our iniquities. Sadly, in our day, this blessed truth of God redeeming sinners and imputing to their account his justifying righteousness is not being taught in most churches today. As a matter of fact, if you would ask most religious people today if they're being taught about the perfect righteousness that God freely imputes to his people, they wouldn't know what you were talking about. You see, most religious people don't preach, or for that matter, believe this blessed truth of the gospel how that the righteousness of God is reckoned and imputed unto us that believe. Luke records our Lord asking this question. When the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? It's so rare, beloved, to hear the gospel preached in our day. And in so many so-called churches, rather than preach the holiness found in Christ alone, they preach a so-called holiness based upon the creature or, or found in the creature, a righteousness based upon what you do. And Paul deals with that in Romans chapter 10. He said of those Jews that trusted in the law, how they being ignorant of God's righteousness, that is the righteousness of Christ, they are ever going about to establish their own righteousness. And we read in Romans chapter 10 verse 3, why it is that they do that. And the reason is this, because they have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God. This is one of those key phrases we find in the book of Romans. Now, the righteousness of God is not referring to God's essential character, but rather in his person as the God-man mediator. In that perfect righteousness he established on the earth as a man, on behalf of his people. That's the true righteousness and true holiness that God reckons and imputes unto his people. Now, while I love this blessed truth of the doctrine of Christ, beloved, it's not a doctrinal truth that we trust. Paul didn't say, I know what I have believed. But rather, ever so blessedly, we can say, beloved, I know whom I have believed. I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. You see, it's not right for a believer to say, well, I'm trusting the imputed righteousness of Christ. Beloved, we ought not to put it in those terms. Rather, we should say by God's undeserved grace, I'm trusting the Lord Jesus Christ, who is my Redeemer and all my righteousness. And beloved, we have received of the Lord's hand double for all our sins by God imputing both his payment of the penalty and his performance 
that righteousness that he established on the earth on behalf of his people that reckons the law satisfied to our account. Now, I wouldn't diminish for a moment the importance of these blessed truths that adorn the doctrine of Christ, but we're not trusting in truths, are we? Rather, beloved, we're trusting the Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son, who is the Lord, our righteousness. Blessed is that man whose iniquities and sins are forgiven and covered by the blood atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's pretty hard to cover up a crime, isn't it? Especially in our day. I mean, when you see what forensic science can do for a criminal investigator, they've got all these state-of-the-art forensic tools at their disposal, and they can uncover just about any crime. And more often than not, they can catch the one who committed the crime. And even though criminals try to cover up their sinful act, most of the time, they don't get away with their crime. Now, sometimes maybe they do, but beloved, before the true and living God, the God who knows all things in Christ, all of our crimes, all of our sins, all of our shame is completely covered up and will never be uncovered. God says of his elect people, their sin and their iniquity will I remember no more. Beloved, the Lord Jesus Christ has by the sacrifice of himself put away all our sins. What a blessed declaration. (laughs) For you to believe that, you who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you know it's the miracle of God's regeneration. He quickened you to believe what most people don't believe. How that of God's elect people, our Heavenly Father declares of them, their sin and their iniquity will I remember no more. And why is that? Because, beloved, the Lord Jesus Christ put away our sin. Indeed, our sins don't even exist in God's sight. He said, they're cast behind my back. They're all cast into the depths of the sea. I like what David says in Psalm 103. Beginning there in verse in verse 10. Beloved, believing sinner, God hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Beloved, he's totally put away our sin, totally and completely. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. All of the sins of God's people are completely covered because the Lord Jesus Christ has already made full satisfaction. Now, what does God's justice require? Full satisfaction. And you can't render that, and I can't render that. No man can save one, the Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son, and he did. 
He fully satisfied God in every aspect of his law, in every precept and in every penalty. He fully paid our sin debt. He fully put away all our sin. He fully honored the law of God and he fully made complete atonement for all our sins. And we see the prophecy of that in Isaiah chapter 42, speaking of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We read in Isaiah 42, there in verse 21. The Lord is well pleased for his righteous sake. Our Heavenly Father is pleased with the righteousness of his beloved Son. And it says here in verse 21 of Isaiah 42, he will magnify the law and make it honorable. And beloved, he already has on behalf of his people. He's magnified the law and he has made it honorable. He fully satisfied every aspect of God's law. And so, beloved, him having made complete atonement for all our sins, having performed all things for us, he has made an end of sins and made reconciliation for iniquity and has brought in everlasting righteousness for us. In him, beloved, we have all spiritual blessings. We are reconciled to God in Christ Jesus. God saith how that he will not impute our trespasses unto us, for we are redeemed from the power of sin, the penalty of sin, and one blessed day, beloved, will be delivered from the very presence of sin. Beloved, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. And much more, beloved, we have that blessed righteousness that we enjoy. It's such a comfort to know that you are complete in Christ, looking to see that he has not only paid the penalty of the law for us, but he has performed the law perfectly and completely on behalf of his people. Beloved, we, we, we were blessed in that righteousness, and we enjoy not the righteousness of the church, not the righteousness of some man, but rather the very righteousness of the God-man mediator given to us by his grace. Beloved, our offenses against God are forgiven. The filthiness of our sins are covered, and our guilt was imputed, charged to Christ and he made full satisfaction of the law. Indeed, God executed him. So now the law of God has no claim on you, beloved. You see, a man that has committed a capital crime, let's say he committed first-degree murder. In Texas, the penalty of that crime is death. And so they'll have a trial. The evidence is presented. The jury deliberates, and they come back with a verdict. And the judge says, guilty. And there's a law that says the guilty must die. And then the day of execution comes. And so the law of the state of Texas puts that man to death. Now, after he dies, does the law of Texas have any claim on that man? Not at all. Rather, the law has to remain silent because it's satisfied. And that's exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us, beloved. My friend, do you understand? The Lord Jesus Christ satisfied the law of God, and so therefore, now the law of God has no claim against the believer. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. 
The law of God can no longer say guilty. Rather, do you know what the law of God says to those who are in Christ? It says to you who believe on Christ, no condemnation. Satisfied. Vindicated. Justified in Christ Jesus the Lord. Now that's good news. Now having described the blessedness we have in Christ, then Paul writes there in Romans chapter 4, verse 9, Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only? Is this blessedness only for the Jews? Or does it also come upon the uncircumcision, the Gentiles, as well? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. And so Paul makes a comparison of the Jews and Gentiles. For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. Now what Paul is saying is this. Saving faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. Now, this blessedness of salvation in Christ, the forgiveness of all sins, the righteousness that's imputed in the gospel, is not only reserved for the religious Jew, but also for the pagan Gentile that believes. And so to make his case that salvation is all of grace in Christ, Paul goes back to Abraham to demonstrate how that his faith the faith, that, the faith that was given to him was reckoned to him for righteousness. Now remember, faith is the means to receive Christ, who is the Lord, our righteousness. But my friend, never make this mistake, the mistake of thinking, not even for a moment, that faith is our righteousness. Because Christ is our righteousness, and by faith we received him, who is the Lord, our righteousness. And we enjoy his righteousness by believing, not by working. Look down there at verse 13. Romans chapter 4, verse 13. Paul writes, For the promise that he should be heir, that he should be the heir of the world, was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. The righteousness of faith. You see, saving faith, true faith, finds its delight and blessedness in its object. What is the object of saving faith? Well, it's not my feelings. It's not the traditions of men. It's not a religious ceremony. Rather, saving faith has for its one object Christ Jesus the Lord. And it's a faith that's ever looking to Christ, who is the author and finisher of of our faith. Now look at verse 10. How was it then reckoned? How was it given? How was it imputed? How was it charged to Abraham's account? When he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Well, the answer comes back, not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. So why does Paul press this point? The apostle wants you to know this, how that Abraham did not merit the righteousness of God being imputed to him. You see, that would make salvation by works, wouldn't it? And so this is the point Paul is pressing. Salvation is by God's saving grace and gift of faith alone. When was Abraham justified before God? Was it after he was circumcised? 
or before he was circumcised? It was before. More than 10 years before Abraham received that covenant sign of circumcision, more than a decade before he was circumcised, Abraham was justified before God. Now, does God justify his people any differently today? Absolutely not. And so Paul is pressing the point here how that salvation has nothing whatsoever to do with works or church ceremonies or anything else. Indeed, none of these things have anything whatsoever to do with salvation. Sadly, in our day, there are many who have turned the gift of God, repentance and faith, into a work whereby they convey to their proselytes that through baptism or repentance and faith that salvation is gained, and they're dead wrong. Our Lord said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you compass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. You see, my friend, salvation is not conditioned upon faith and repentance. Rather, faith and repentance is the fruit of salvation. And baptism is simply acknowledging that Christ is all of our salvation. Therefore, faith, repentance, and baptism have nothing to do with the sinner being justified before God. Now, if you said that in many so-called churches today, they'd promptly show you the door because they vainly think that they've made salvation work through something they have done rather than salvation by God's grace alone. I remember when I was in downtown Merida in Mexico, and my text was Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. And I was declaring, by grace you are saved, not repentance, not baptism, not by what you do, rather by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And who do you think was up in my face and mad as hell about my message? Do you suppose it was the town drunk? A prostitute? No, it was an evangelical Baptist pastor. I tell you, he did not like that message. But beloved, I love that message, and I know you do too. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. You see, beloved, our salvation is by the grace of God. And this is the point that Paul is pressing here. And so more than a decade before Abraham was circumcised, God said he was justified in his sight. God said, I've given that man a justifying righteousness. I've put away all of his sin by the blood atonement of Christ, my beloved son. I saved him by my grace alone. In Acts chapter 15, and we've looked at this portion a few times, we see how there were some Jews who professed to believe Christ, who said they were trusting him, but in reality they had a real problem with God's grace or salvation apart from works. In Acts chapter 15 verse 1, they said, except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you really can't be saved. You really can't be justified unless you're circumcised. And so consequently, they had a big conference, and Peter stood up and said, we believe, and this is in Acts chapter 15, verse 11, 
We believe through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that God is going to save us Jews exactly the same way that he saved those pagan Gentiles. We believe through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that we shall be saved even as others. Romans chapter 4, verse 11. And so referring to Abraham, the apostle writes, And so Abraham received the sign of circumcision, a seal, or a pledge of the righteousness of the faith which he had. And Paul emphasizes again, yet being uncircumcised. Now when God found Abraham, his name was Abram, and he was raised in idolatry. And when he was 75 years old, God called him out. And so the word of God holds Abraham forth as an example or as a pattern. What Paul is showing us here is the pattern of grace. And so God shows us how that Abraham is the father of all them that believe, or a pattern or a picture or a type of how God saves all those who believe. Again, verse 11. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had yet being uncircumcised that he might be father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. also. Now, circumcision in our day is generally not done for religious purposes. Rather, you'll find that they do that for hygienic purposes. But the Jews did that for religious purposes. However, this thing of circumcision that God gave to Abraham illustrates for us what God does in the hearts of his people. In Romans chapter 2, we read there how that circumcision is a picture of regeneration. Indeed, it's an operation of God that he performs upon the heart. So circumcision represents spiritual regeneration. Beloved, we are circumcised in the heart. Look what it says there in Romans chapter 2 in verse 28. The apostle writes, He is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly. Now Paul is speaking here about a true covenant child of God. He's referring to God's spiritual elect. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, We are the circumcision, the true Israel of God, which worship him in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. And so he is a Jew, which is one inwardly and circumcision that, that of the heart by the operation of God in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Paul writes about this in Colossians chapter 2. In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision or by the operation of Christ. Jesus Christ works this operation upon the hearts of his people. Now, verse 12, Romans chapter 4, verse 12. And the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but also walk in the steps of that faith of Abraham, 
Now this walking in the steps of the faith of Abraham, the Lord said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad, which he had yet being uncircumcised. Walking in the steps of that faith given to Abraham that looks to the Lord Jesus Christ alone for all salvation. Abraham would rejoice in the gospel contained in verse 1 of chapter 8 of Romans. Therefore is there therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. My friend, without faith it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. May our Heavenly Father grant, by his grace in Christ, that his righteousness might be imputed unto you also.